Welcome back, everyone, to the Council for Maintenance podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we are a podcast that takes a behind-the-scenes look into the gritty, non-glamorous life of aviation maintenance. We share some laughs, impart some wisdom, all in hopes of giving you that split-second relief in your day that can prevent a mishap. I am Six. I'm MVP. And our third man, Shoreline, is in the back silently, making sure our audio is good to go and that our faces stay fit for radio. So <laughs> today, uh, we're kind of branching off a little bit about total quality management. And we want to dive a little bit deeper into what we know as lean. But some people might have a different understanding of what lean is. And there might be some uh, misconceptions of what uh, lean does. So um, to start things off, like lean, we, we can't explain in previous episodes how we kind of took the concepts of total quality management and for the most part was heavily influenced by the Japanese of their applications of it. And the whole idea of lean is to, in a nutshell, is to reduce uh, waste. Uh, by waste, we mean like uh, things are taking too long, you're producing too much, you're doing too much of something that's complicating the process. So by leaning out, like we're streamlining uh, the whatever the process is so we get a quality output with the least amount of problems, if that makes any sort of sense. And um, one valuable tool that goes into this and that, and it's also heavily used when it comes to process improvements, quality assurance, and aviation in general is uh, value stream mapping. Um, MVP, if you want to elaborate uh, a little bit more on value stream mapping. Yeah, value stream mapping, uh, for those of you, you know, who don't know, it's essentially uh, value added versus non-value added. Uh, what do you do in your processes that's, you know, that brings value to you? Essentially, what is the customer willing to pay for? What is bringing money um, to your program, to your job? You know, what are you doing that? to that aircraft that the customer is willing to pay for versus what you're not willing to pay for. Right. So, uh, here's, here's a, an example from, um, uh, from like my days in the, the AOG realm. So the customer is paying you to be there for maintenance, but if you troubleshoot down to parts and you're awaiting on parts, uh, that time you're waiting is not paid by the customer. That time is paid, uh, overhead by your, uh, employer. So you'll probably know if you've done that before that you've had multiple charge numbers, you're charging to a work order for that aircraft. But when you're in waiting time, you're charging to your overhead or whatever else. And I'm sure your company is billing that out to somebody else down the right way or at least part of it. Um, but but the goal is, is you know, uh, to, to minimize that wait time so the company pays less overhead. So what do you do in the meantime, right? Okay, well, let's say for me, example, I started out uh, in Van Nuys, was working an aircraft. All right, I'm down to waiting on parts. All right, well, that part's uh, going to be here in four hours. Okay, when that time, hey, MVP, head your way down to Santa Monica. There's another aircraft there. Well, what does that need? Is that one down to parts? Uh, no, that one just needs a, a checklist done. Okay, cool. Oh, but wait, you found something wrong during that checklist. All right, I need a part. Well, that one's going to be in four hours. Cool. Now I got to head back to Van Nuys because I'm at the point where that part's going to start showing up. So you find yourself running all over the place, but it's all in an effort to minimize that non-value added time. You try to keep as much time chargeable as you can, right? Value added tasking. So I have a little chart here and I'm going to read from it, but it's basically analyzing the time value added versus non-value added. So under the value added work, that's we have changes the form fit function of a product, the physical transformation of the product, and the customer would be willing to pay for. An activity, if skipped, would affect the value, performance of the product or service. And examples of that would be assembling, machining, painting, molding, packet, packing and shipping, internal inspection. Right. So those are value added items. So when you see like physical transformation of a product, all right, we've all modded an aircraft, right? And we, we have engineers and they say, Hey, if we add these winglets, you're going to get 10% more, uh, you know, fuel efficiency. Okay. You present that to the customer. Hey, you know, we've got this, you can save 10% on, uh, 
on your fueling if you install these mods. Uh, is it necessary? No, the customer can keep operating their aircraft as it is, but they might be willing to pay for that to save more money on fuel. Uh, pay a one-time cost for this mod here to to save fuel in the long run. Just an example. Uh, under the non-value added required activities creating no value but require the product out of out the door and which cannot be eliminated based on the current state of thinking or technology required by regulatory legal or or mandated by customer uh, necessary due to non-robustness of a process uh, examples of all this would be regulatory reporting customer required testing or inspection checking process or material properties uh you know viscosity ph levels temperatures etc uh, order entry processing invoice billing purchasing training so think about that most of us have to go through some form of training mm -hmm. um the customer is not paying for that but you have to do it to be able to work on their stuff they're saying hey we only want certified people to work on our on our uh asset but we're not paying for the training that's the responsibility of the uh, maintenance outfit okay you know or uh let's look at the let's look at the order entry processing look at all your time to do paperwork we all know paperwork's half of the maintenance job but in many mm -hmm. cases the customer's not paying for that paperwork time so i'm sure many of you have felt the uh pressure from your leads going hey are you done with that paperwork yet come on let's get that done hurry up hurry up hurry up or they'll try to push you to the point where you, they work you for most of the day and they try to get you to do paperwork the last 30 minutes of the day, which is we've already discussed as a, as a massive uh, mistake. But, yes. <laughs> but, but there's some, there's some uh, reasoning behind why they sort of push that way, right? They try to keep as many billable hours as possible while right. still maintaining, you know, customer corporate doctrine adherence. Right. Uh, another one uh, to add to that, uh, going along with the regulatory uh, stuff, uh, it's non-value added because it's something you have to do, but it's not necessarily like a customer requirement. Uh, example, say like uh, PPE, um, having to wear PPE or use certain PPE to do a certain task. It's required by law that you have to do it, but it's it's not really value added because the customer doesn't pay for you to do that. I mean, there might be some other in incidental or incremental way to have that paid for, but for the most part, like the customer is not uh, in charge of your safety. It's required that you have one, but it's not up to them to ensure that you're being billed correctly to do it. Uh, another one is say the same regulatory requirement has some kind of baked in instruction in your maintenance manuals like uh be wear safety goggles when you're doing lock wire or you have to have this kind of verbiage in your write-ups something like that it's all relatively the same thing and uh again with all these stuff value added versus non-value added this is how the bean counters who more or less write your check <laughs> how they figure out how to bill your statement of work how to give you the the projects or programs or funds in the say to do the work that you do as mvp said it like with charge numbers uh some call it uh work orders or some call it um uh statement yeah. statements of work it's, it's all relative it's all synonymous with each other in some shape or form and essentially there's cost pools behind all of that right the bean counters are are or that's why when they say they want accurate time reporting, right? How much hours did you spend on this worker work order on this one? X, Y, Z, how much was on overhead that helps for allocation of funds. But you can say, you can also go back and say, Holy cow. Uh, six was, you know, out of this pay period, six was billable 60 of 40 hours, right? He got some overtime and he was billable, you know, more than his base base hour requirement whereas they could go mvp was billable 15 out of 40 hours what the heck did we have in him do we, we obviously aren't uh you know we aren't using utilizing that individual right or, or you could say hey uh 
if we're only giving him billable 15 out of what, what what's the jobs are giving him? Oh my gosh. We're giving him uh very base baseline servicing. Uh, he goes out and he uh, checks oil levels and, and services the lab. Well, I mean, while necessary, we can probably allocate those tasks to somebody who's already working on the aircraft, such as uh, six. Yep. And that's also, yeah. and that also along with like, say the man hours too. I mean, how many times have we've uh, been there where your leads or your manager, supervisor, I say like, I only need, I could only have so many people on an aircraft or on a specific task. It's not because we were trying to be like dicks about it. It's because like certain uh, charge numbers or certain cost pools can only allocate so much for so many people. And uh, we actually got in trouble for this once where like, uh, <laughs> say you have a specific task and it's only allocated to account for two or three technicians and you stick five of them on onto the project thinking that, or or to the task, sorry, thinking that, oh, hey, uh, it's going to get done faster because we have five or six people on it. But, you know, say like the job was was called for two hours and you got it done in 30 minutes, but there were six people on it. You're paying 30 minutes for each individual person, which basically adds up past those two, uh, those uh, allocated hours. And now each one has their own specific rate, which now they have to figure out and all this and that. So it's air quote doable and there's value a little bit to that. But as far as like that cost pool is concerned, all they see is like there's six people on a two person job. So what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's look at another um, non-value added required. I look at your, I think most of us probably have an environmental health and safety group within yes. our area of operation, or maybe those of you work in a line somewhere, you might not have somebody specifically there with you, but the airfield has them. Uh, you got open fuel cell maintenance, right? You're you're in there, you're diving tanks, but you see that person walking around with the uh, sniffer. I can't remember the official name for it, but it basically does takes air quality samples and lets you know how many fuel particulates are in the air and if the area is safe enough to work, right? Mm. So typically you'll pop tanks and then you got to vent the building for so X amount of time until the air quality reads whatever and deem safe enough for humans to uh, operate and work within. Well, you know, the customer's not paying for that, that safety rep to be there, uh, you know, that health and safety rep to be there, uh, taking those, uh, air quality readings that's, that's required, you know, by federal regulation. So customer says, why would I pay for that when, uh, it's the government who's requiring you to do this? So right. yeah, <clears throat> that's just, that's what you call, you know, your, your you know, like indirect overhead type stuff. Yes. And um, and I'm glad you mentioned that as well, because between that and and other air quotes indirect charges, uh, let's call it that indirect charges, the it seems very over their heads for the most part. But all these different uh, charges add up over time, and then and the only way to recoup that is to produce more, right? So that's kind of like where we've find ourselves like we're working longer so we can do more flights or we're doing more uh, more work or more uh, work or hours. So that all, all that stuff kind of adds up over time. So we're thinking like, okay, why are we having such a convoluted process? And it's all because a lot of that indirect uh, cost pool charging, just they, they have to balance it some way, somehow. And either that or we just start cutting people, which we have seen from time to time. And some organizations do that where they kind of they they eliminate the issue by eliminating the amount of people who can charge to it, which is not exactly right. But given that what they have available to use versus the people they have, you know, then that's we have those issues. So uh, why value stream mapping for one? Uh, again, it goes that value added versus non-value added, and what this does it. it it gives you the opportunity to really map out what your processes are. Yeah. Well, and, and maybe before we get into mapping the processes, right. Mm -hmm. We, we got to cover the non-value added uh, examples first. Okay. Gotcha. But, but I did want to mention, you know, when you talk about, when we talk about these cost pools and everything, um, it also helps you develop a per unit cost, right? Yes. Uh, yes. So, so, <clears throat> 
you can say, okay, on average, we work, you know, uh, 18 work orders in a, in a 24 hour period. And we have this much, uh, direct labor charging and this much indirect, and you can kind of break these, you break all the, there's some math behind it and I won't dive into it, uh, on here, uh, just cause I, I'd probably butcher it. And I think it would be much easier if, if, you know, there's some really good YouTube videos out there. So all of you kind of want to deep dive this more, look into that, but it'll, it'll math it out. And it kind of breaks it down into these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's like an, it's a, uh, allocated cost or it's a, essentially it, it gets, it gets, uh, you, you add up all these numbers and you divide it by how many units you produce. So if we did 18 work orders and we had, all these other numbers, right? You know, we had, uh, and then we, we divide them and then we get a per unit cost. And you look at that and you can say, okay, you know, I know that to each work order, I'm, you know, I have X amount of technicians I'm charging this time, but in order to account for these additional overhead costs or these indirect costs, I have to apply this per unit cost on top of what I'm charging the customer. So I'll use the AOG side again, for example. Actually, I won't. I'll use uh, when I used to travel overseas. So I was getting paid, let's say at the time, I was getting paid $25 an hour. But but the company was charging the customer $180 an hour. And so, you know, why are we explaining this? Because a lot of you go, why aren't they just paying me that $180 an hour? Because there's so many other cost and things that have to be paid for out of that $180, right? It has other things tacked into it that, so for every hour that six works, um, I have to apply this rate to it in order to be able to pay um, salaries and insurances and building rent and, and all these other kind of things. Right. So mm-hmm. that's kind of why those maths are important um, uh, to understand. I know it's frustrating. We all go, $180 an hour and they're paying me 25 man to hell with them. <laughs> I get it. Been there, but there's reasonings behind it. Not everybody knows that. And that's kind of why we're trying to explain this uh, is to give you a, a little bit better of an understanding and to make you smarter within your own organization. So as you get pulled into these upper level meetings and they're talking about funding and instead of all being the matrix screen, the ones and zeros, you have a, a good understanding and you can almost provide input and say, Hey, we can, we can trim some fat over here. You know, Hey, six and I have been running this uh, last few jobs together, but in all reality, one of us could do it. So he could be on one plane. I could be on the other. And then we can cross over, inspect each other's work real quick, keep all hours billable. And then boom, we're, we're there, you know, or you say I split us up and we can knock out two planes at a time. And one of us charged to each work order, different stuff like that. Right. And, uh, and, uh, understanding what that does and what that means and how it works will will not only bring value to your to your organization but also to yourself because now you're that you're that thinking person you're that one who solves problems who consistently knows where the the gaps and choke points are and you have a means or an ability to to address it and um we'll look at it this way too right so Let's say you know you're working for a company now, but let's say you want to branch out and start your own business. We have a Patreon right now who's who's done it, exactly that, and um, these are some things he's going to have to start looking into as his business grows. Right. right now, you know it's a it's a team of one, but as as his uh, quality of work is high and the customers that he uh, has uh, likes his work, they're going to start telling their friends in the business, "Hey, I got this guy here." Uh, excellent. You're really going to want him for this job, man. Uh, killer work uh, on time in under budget kind of thing. So eventually he's going to get more customers. Well, what do you do with more customers? You got to get more people. And then he's going to have to start breaking things down like this, not only for, you know, for tax reasons, but, but for business sustainability, you, you know, you, you got to track these kind of things uh, as much of a, as much as math as I don't like, but um you know, necessary for, for business, uh, sustainability. Right. I mean, we, we've all been there and we kind of joked amongst ourselves as well. Like most of the math that we do use, it's not, uh, something we like, right? Like, uh, or it's, it's, uh, in, 
we do it, but we don't realize it. Like, uh, example, we we joke around to ourselves is uh, mathing out how much sleep you can get. You know, if you just kind of forego a couple activities, like uh, if I uh, don't do a little bit of this or if I skip on that, I can hit the snooze button like three or four more times before I, I'm five minutes late to work or some shit like that. You know, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's weird. I can't do simple math in my head, but I can sit there and look at my clock and go, if I fall asleep right now, I'll get exactly three hours of sleep, three hours and 15 minutes of sleep. That's exactly 450,000 seconds. I'm making up numbers, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's amazing <laughs> how you can math things in that regard. But somebody's like two plus two MVP. And you're like, oh, Seven. the letter <laughs> S, you know, right. Um, another one just going off topic real quick is also like uh, what we call uh, meathead math. You know what I mean? Like uh, when you're at a gym, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like you could just look at a, a, a set of weights and just go. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I can do that. That's 90 pounds. Like uh, two big boys. That's 90 pounds. I can do that or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like your protein powder. You're like, okay, two scoops is exactly 45 grams of protein weighing approximately uh, two ounces. And, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing how you can math things that you're uh, interested in. <laughs> yes. And that's exactly it. What you're interested in. Right. So uh, to. Uh, not to go too deep into the math about value stream maps, like like MVP said, there's like way better uh, explanations out there that can give full on illustrations of how to help it stick uh, for you. Uh, but to like uh, kind of simplify it, hopefully not to oversimplify it with value stream maps is the first step is you got to identify the process, right? <laughs> you got to know what you're doing. Uh, there is this one quote, uh, I can't remember who said it and God forbid me, like uh, don't don't come after me. But if you guys know it, please tell us. It's uh, it goes uh, if you can't explain what you do as a process, then you don't know what you're doing. So that's kind of what value stream mapping does. It it tells it has you break down what you do into steps, and then once you have made that out, you've kind of figured out the math as to what each step does. If it either adds value, doesn't doesn't uh, remove value, or it actually hurts you then you can start going on the lines of like uh, creating like a, a current state uh, or a current state uh, map of the, uh, of the process, what it is doing now. And right. then, and then kind of like uh, what's your dream process? Like what, what would you yeah. like it to do? Right. So that consists, consi uh, consists of you identifying the non-value added. Uh, all of you out there are like these mother, they didn't get over the non-value added items and they said they would. <laughs> they sidetracked on on cost centers and cost pools. Uh, real quick. All right. So, so to understand your process and how to make it better, you've got to identify what non-value is within it. So, non-value added items, waste, any unnecessary activity or excessive use of res of a resource, activities that should be eliminated as they're creating no value for the customer, any just in case action or resource, i.e., you know inspections inventories uh like like doubled on inspections and inventories are we already doing this okay well why do we have a second one? Oh, well the first one it's not working out well is anybody gonna kick the people who do the first ones in the ass and tell them to do better or replace them anyways i'm just being that's, a, that's an aggressive stance but here we go yeah uh so examples of this are downtime right yes. we talked about that waiting period uh external inspection uh meaning um like a third party, mm -hmm. a third party coming in, uh, testing for defects or spec nonconformance. So, you know, uh, the next, uh, re's rework, returns, redo, reinspect, repair. Basically you did it wrong the first time. Now you have to go back and do it. That's, that's, that's all on the, on your company's dime. Mm -hmm. So you could look at some of these and go testing for defects or specs or whatever. Like that should be, no, no, that's a necessary part of the process. Right, but that's built into the to the test plan. Mm -hmm. You know, those kind of things are you know built into the test plan. Um, so a lot of people, you know, a lot of projects. Let's use software for example. They'll go through, and the different development teams they'll build, test, and then they'll go to the next stage. They'll build this test, build this test, build this test. At the end, they have one massive chunk of coding, and then they'll do a final test, which should take. Uh, not as much time as it would be if you tested none of it mm -hmm. up front, 
and then had to go back to square one and start fixing things. But if you test, fix, test, fix, test, fix as you're going and build that in your schedule, that's, you know, that's, that's being lean. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So let me give another example as, uh, within my own realm of work, uh, one of the contracts we have, I've been going through one of the processes and, and determining, um, trying to figure out how we can, uh, do some value stream mapping. Well, one of the areas I identified is we have, uh, and this is for, uh, maintenance manual development, right? This mm-hmm. one contract. So they have, if you look at it, you have, okay, what's, the, what's, what do we need to create it for? Oh, we need X system, a maintenance manual created for this system. Cool. We've got inputs from the, uh, engineers. Now we just need to start typing. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. We type it out. Okay. Well now the people typing should be proofreading themselves along the way. All right, fine. Easy enough. Uh, then we have a, a senior tech review. Okay. Then we have a, a tech, uh, supervisor review. Okay. Then we have, uh, for lack of a better term, I can't remember what the official title is called, but it's a, it's a tech writer quality, quality tech writer. Let's call them that. Um, and then they do a review and then guess what? It comes to, then it comes to quality assurance for the final review. And you could say all this is added value if I don't find anything, but we continually find defects. How come we've gone through four different supposed checks and we're still finding problems? Somebody's not doing their job. So then you start looking into it and talking with the tech group, right? Okay, hey, we have these four levels of inspections. I'm still finding stuff. Yeah, that's your job. Right. But with four people in front of me, I should find nothing. So you guys are pressuring me to to increase my inspection time because you took so long over here. We could validate that if there were no findings on the back end. But there are findings on the back end. So something's got to give here in the middle. So if I'm finding and fixing on the back end at the very end of this, this uh, module, then I should be able to, um, then we can, we can trim some fat here. So as I started looking into it, the, the quality tech writer, uh, will sit on, you know, will take two weeks to review and then, and then give it to us and say, Hey, you know, uh, you guys got 24 hours to review and get this back to us. What the hell? No, we're, 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 we've been budgeted and allocated for five days for review. Uh, yeah, but we took too long on this one. Ah, that's not my problem. So sitting in a meeting the other day and I started asking these questions and the tech quality tech writer goes, Hey, I'm going to be going, uh, uh, out on, uh, out on vacation. So, uh, these modules, I'm not going to finish. So what, what do we got to do? You know, what happens now? And the supervisor goes, uh, well, I guess we'll just skip you and we'll just send it over to quality. Skip. You. Oh, okay. That's fine. And so I go, wait, we can skip the, the quality tech writer section. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've done it before. Like if it's, if we're behind schedule, we'll just skip them. Or if we're, uh, you know, if they're not here, we'll just skip them. I'm like, so a pro, uh, a step that can be skipped, uh, out of convenience, that sounds like it's of no added value. So we can right. remove that step. And so we have now you can say, Oh, MVP, you, you bastard, you got somebody fired. No, I didn't get anybody fired. We just reallocated them for better use of their time. Or, or for something else, you know, that's, that's where we're getting at is like, Hey, we're paying a lot of out of overhead for these inspections. And you could justify it if I found nothing at the final review, but I shouldn't be finding the stuff that I'm finding. You could say, well, that's the purpose of the final inspection of QA. Gotcha. But I shouldn't be finding grammatical errors, right? Uh, in these modules, or I shouldn't be finding wrong charts or you know okay let's say i'm doing a module for a tire change and they have a fuel pump like a a diagram in there what what the hell come on i shouldn't be finding this at the final stage like that's some that's the guy writing it should have caught that you know (laughs) yeah yeah but but that's just a a very broad overview example of something very recent that i i found for value stream mapping and say, okay, I've got this map. Here's the process. Now the next level down is like taking out the quality tech writer position. All right. I've shrunken that up. Now let me see if I can take what else I can take out in that inspection. We should just have maybe the, 
guy who wrote it, guy or gal, I'm just sorry for the generality, but person who wrote it, then we have maybe the supervisor and then it comes to quality, right? Yeah. We should be able to, we should be able to take out at least half of those inspections. Right. Uh, I liked how you mentioned like towards the beginning, like uh, the just in case uh, stuff. I mean, as cool as that is, there's a lot of just in case that tries to account for a little too much. If you, if you catch my drift, uh, if any of you catching, because as MVP has alluded, there's a lot, there's a lot of extra steps where in theory it's, it's good for you because you know, if everything worked all right, then there shouldn't be zero errors. And it's basically like a rubber stamp from the quality assurance standpoint before they move on with the final uh, what have you's of whatever product or service. But as MVP said, like uh, when you have too many uh, just in case uh, steps, you're just convoluting the, the end phase of that product or service. To the, and then if you're still finding problems, then like, why do we even have you? Right. Right. Well, I, I think you get to the point where you have too many just in cases. You exa- you get the exact opposite of what you were trying to prevent. And if I'm if I'm the guy who wrote it, or I'm the supervisor, I go ah, I don't have to devote a lot of my time to looking at this because the quality tech writer is going to look at it and then QA they'll find whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm not doing. So then you get people a little bit complacent, right? Okay, I can kind of put out a half-assed product. Initially, I can, my my times and my my uh, hours are going to look phenomenal. Oh my gosh, MVP was able to crank out seventy-five modules in one week. That's impressive. Like it's taking him thirty minutes a module. That's amazing. All right, that does look amazing for him. Now let's go to QA. Hey uh, guys, I found out of a out of a forty-step. Uh, maintenance task i found 37 errors and it's like oh well okay his times are great because he's doing a shit job yeah yeah it's it's like it's like uh you're doing the maintenance hey how did you get a phase that a, a a major maintenance like a phase inspection uh done it's supposed to take a week and you got it done in two days like that's unheard of yeah well if you skip half the stuff you're supposed to do you can pretty easy right yeah, right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I've, that's really hitting me home right now because I've actually seen people do that. We're like, well, can't you just like uh, do the inspection and call it good? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. But you're going to get a lot of uh, post-phase write-ups that you are going to have to fix, right? So, I mean, whatever, it's it's been through the process on my end. So, that's what I give a shit, right? But if the goal is to have a conforming, ready, flyable aircraft, then you kind of want me to do those, uh, do those extra steps, absorb them in my own, right? So at least like when the inspection is finished, that that means all the all the due processes for it is completed as well. Um, uh, a little bit, a little bit over the top, but yeah, basically, uh, basically the same thing. And that's kind of like uh, what we consider over processing, right? Uh, right. Or, or uh, having well, to think re- it, thinking it ties into the non-value added required, right? So yeah. Let me go back to okay, I have a forty-step maintenance task. And I found 37 anomalies. Okay, well, as uh, QA, I have to report that, right? That's part of my metrics. Okay, I reviewed these many modules. This module had this many findings, this many findings. That gets reported to the customer. So when the customer goes, you keep coming at me telling me you need more funding or more time or whatever. But why would I pay for that when I'm not getting a a, a good product? Right. Why would I pay for more when you... Why would I pay for more when you can't give me something decent now? Oh, well, more will 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 allow us to be better. Will it though? <laughs> exactly. You know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I kind of want to uh, go a little bit too about like the actually like uh, the under processing. Like you said, that you have an underperforming person, right? Uh, that there's in my mind, there's like so many uh, wastes that come from that. For first, it's the fact that the person's underperforming, which is already a, a freaking enormous waste, and then the fact that this person kicks out an under under processed uh, product or service that not turns into defects. That's another problem, and then having to recycle all that back to make it right the in hopes the second time. So that's a third one. We've essentially made five wastes just from one uh, under processed. Uh, section where the whether it be person who caused it or if it was a machine or whatever that caused it, you've essentially created five wastes. And uh, 
I think we've all seen this before, or at least if we've been the lead of a shop, we've seen this before, is when uh, you have uh, unused talent in your shop. That in itself is a massive waste. I mean, I'm glad any- you were saying that because I was just about to about to jump in that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so like that in itself is a massive waste because you, if you have a person who's who you hired, for instance, who's very innovative, very talented, uh, very uh, uh, good at their job, and you're not applying that, applying that person to the extent of their abilities, that turns into unused talent, and that turns it, that person eventually he's gonna scale back to what you apply them to if that makes any sort of sense like if yeah. uh if this guy uh or if this person is a star performer and you give him subpar tasks guess what he or she's going to do eventually they're going to start turning into subpar performers and you just wasted like however much percent of their talent just because like you couldn't imp- uh employ them uh properly right. or they're going to go above and beyond and say okay uh all right you got me you got me sweeping floors. So I'm going to, okay, I'm going to keep coming to my boss every day. Hey, I put this white paper data together, which is essentially a proposal, right? Uh, I got this proposal. If I, if we get four Roombas, that'll uh, allow me to keep these four main hallways clean at all times, which will allow me to focus on uh, restrooms A and B. Um, and I can focus my mornings on that, uh, cleaning those to the best of my ability. And then, uh, afternoons can be, and then if we get this automated uh, trash system, or if I get this cart uh, with with uh, towing capabilities, I can take uh, all garbage from Hangar Five uh, out to the dumpster at one time, rather than have to make uh, multiple trips as I'm doing now. Right? They they're they're looking. They're still trying to be that overachiever for the trivial task you've given them. And I'm not knocking, you know, janitorial service as a as a trivial task, but it's just an example of if if you are a airframer, a sheet metal artist, and I'm having you sweep floors instead of doing these crazy mods or or repairs, like that's what am I? I'm wasting your talent. It, it, same thing. If I have an airframer, a, a sheet metal artist, and I have you tracing wires, and you've never done that before, uh, why? Oh, our 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 avionics tech called out for the day. Okay. We don't have a backup avionics tech. We don't have a, you know, I'm all for cross training, but like you can't throw somebody in cold and expect them to overperform. Right. Exactly. I mean, like me, right. I'm, I'm built like a beanbag chair, partially deflated beanbag chair. And, and you say, okay, uh, MVP, I need you to jump in this pool and beat Michael Phelps in the hundred meter, uh, freestyle. It ain't happening. <laughs> and then you're going to be what the hell how come you couldn't beat him we put you in uh yeah but I, i've not done this before you know it's like yeah or or what's that one joke we've always said before like you can't uh like judging uh how um how a fish can climb a tree or something like that. <laughs> yeah if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree it'll live its life thinking it's it's stupid or something like that you know it's yeah and and again that's a massive waste and that and that's probably one of the most uh, severe wastes. I mean, on top of everything else, right? But uh, having yeah, that, yeah. having that, uh, un, that or having that type of talent and just sitting there being uh, not utilized to its full capability. And we've all been there before. We're kind of like dying inside, right? Because they, you feel all jazzed up because you're in an organization that you feel is gonna expand your horizons or expand your talents, and then they just say, "Okay, here, man, like." Uh, uh, go drill out these fasteners for the for yeah, paint, the gra- paint the grass green. Oh, okay, <laughs> right? Yeah, go mow some dirt, you know. And you're like, well, shit. Well, I didn't. This is not what I signed up for. And either a, they're gonna downgrade themselves to whatever you set them to, or they're just gonna leave altogether. Now you're short in person. Right. They're just gonna move on. Yeah. Go mop. It's right. Ra- hey, it's raining. Go mop the parking lot. Right on. Well, here's my two week notice, and also today is my last day, so I'm just gonna. I'm just going to double gun you right now and, uh, and head on out of here. Head on out here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Right. And, um, uh, this is all part of the big, massive, uh, massive, uh, methodology that is lean. And uh, I'm going to, uh, I think I'm going to put this out there real quick that uh, a lot of what we know as lean, especially us as aircraft mechanics, we get a very bad rap of what that is because, um, 
for lean especially or even value stream mapping, it's very easy, air quote easy to get uh, some kind of certification or training or whatnot. It's kind of like me, like I sit you in a classroom, I tell you what it is, kind of like what we're doing uh, now. You, you listen to us talk about lean. It's like, okay, cool. I'm certified. I'm go do lean things. And they don't know how to apply the tools properly or they're more set on using the tools and not really practicing which one's the best fit for uh, implementing a proper lean procedure. So um, a lot of us on the line of stuff, like we just kind of see lean or the guys implementing lean as an extreme nuisance because we we don't see any real problems being solved. They're just kind of consolidating them and rebranding the the solution or the same thing as a different solution, stuff like that. So, but um, what this can do for us essentially is if you understand how the process is supposed to work and how the diff- the various methods you can use to actually put value added, you it's a pretty robust methodology if you really think about it. Like, and sometimes you're doing it and you don't even realize it. It's just like uh. Uh, sometimes you got to have things set on paper. You kind of have to see like a no kidding uh, map of how it's supposed to work. Right. Oh, okay. I get it. So uh, in a nutshell, like uh, it's, it, it sounds, it sounds bad. It doesn't sound like it's actually bringing anything of value, but when you actually use it correctly and you've kind of uh, figured out the the two steps in the whole process of things, which is, uh, figure out what you're doing and make a decision, then you can actually like uh, like create a process or create a a chain of events or a flow that's actually helpful to you and your organization. <laughs> Sorry, I went on a huge tirade about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 essential. Um, yeah, you might not see, seem so, but it is kind of essential for your businesses. Uh, long-term uh, sustainability, right? Uh, you should always be looking for ways to improve your process. You know, okay, let's use this for an example. Uh, I'm working in uh, on aircraft in Hangar 1, but we keep all of our, our you know, uh, cons- uh, hazmat, right? Oils, uh, hydrofluids, whatever. We're keeping all that down in Hangar 5. Well, between those hangars is about you know, a thousand yards. And so, so, and, oh, and guess what? In hangar one, we do, uh, make, you know, line servicing checks only. We're not doing heavy maintenance. So you're constantly using fluids, topping off levels, whatever else. So you're either one, you're walking down there, cycling down there. If you're lucky enough, you got a golf cart, but that's time wasted, right? It would make sense to keep at least some oils and fluids in all hangers or, if we're primarily using them in hangar one, as we've de- allocated that building to be, to be the, you know, servicing check station, then why not move them there? So instead of having mechs and techs, you know, technicians wasting time going and getting oil every 30 minutes, uh, they can walk just to the edge of the hangar, open the flam locker and boom, there it is. You know, like just stuff like that. I'm sure, I'm sure many of you out there, uh, are, are probably by this point looking in, you know, at your own organization and going, what is excess here? And I'm sure you'll find something almost immediately. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so with that, that's a great exercise, right? Everything we've kind of talked about uh, is it, better, better for you. It, it'll help you grow professionally. Uh, it'll help you grow into your director of maintenance positions uh, to look at things this way. So as an exercise, you know, I'll challenge you all to to go out there and look at your own organization and see what you can find and then bring that up to your superiors. Bring that up at your uh, maintenance meeting, you know, get it in the in the hands and the eyes of the people who can make those decisions. And I bet I bet you'll see a very positive result out of that. Uh, and, and if they say, hey, we can't change it because we you know, we're required by contracts uh, to keep oils in five and not in one. Well, now you've just learned something about your contract, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I'd like for you all to go and look at your own areas, and then you know, uh, hit hit us up. Let us know what you found, and and you, you know when you brought it up, and kind of the reaction you got, and what was done uh, about it. Was anything done? 
or was nothing done? And if, if, if something was done to fix it, what was done to fix it? If nothing was done, what was the reason behind it? Uh, if you were given a reason, I know some of us are told to, 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 we get books thrown at us and told to get the hell out of the office. But, um, you know, just, just ask like, Hey, why are we not doing something about this? Oh, we don't have the budget for it. Interesting. Well, you see, and then you can go back and reevaluate, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you see, if we, if we keep oils in hangar one, we're saving X amount of dollars in one shift by these technicians, not driving or walking a thousand yard, 2000 yards right there and back to acquire these oils. You know, we lose, we lose five hours of productivity across five technicians a day because they, they have to go get these oils. Approach it from things like that. Put a dollar value to it if you can. I know it's a big ass. And we don't see all those kind of things, but hell, if you do a, just a rough Google search on stuff or, or take hourly wages and an average of it and then break it apart like that, it gives, uh, it gives a little more weight to it. Yes. Very I'd be much curious so. to know what you guys find. Yeah, please let us know and uh, let us know too. Like, uh, as any, well, what part of these steps or what part of the, this process chain or this flow chain really helped you out the most, right? Was it, uh, really hashing out what the value added, non value added stuff was? Or do you know that already? And you kind of like, how do I turn what's present into the future? Whichever, uh, or which waste was more common, right? Like, whichever the case may be, let us know some of your feedback. We're very open to hear some of this. And this is something that MVP and I like do on a constant basis, especially nowadays with the, with the way we were doing things for work uh, nowadays. And uh, from previous episodes where we talked about how everything is going 4.0 almost, <laughs> everything's going 4.0, i.e. like the data analytics of things or big data of things, understanding uh, how value stream mapping and and leaning principles work will really aid in that that adjustment period because it's better for you to know what the process is and know where it's going than for it to just happen to you and then you have to adjust uh, for it. And again, like as MVP is challenged, like let us know, like what did you find? What did you what did you see? Was anything fixed? Was anything uh, 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 resolved? Or if it's just something like they just told you to kick rocks and do what I tell you to, because I'm the one in charge and I'm the one who makes those decisions, yeah. whichever. And, and, and I'll offer up our services, right? If you find something and you're kind of unsure, I mean, run it by us and, and we'll, we'll give you our inputs on it. Yes. Most definitely. We might've ran into it before, or you might bring something to us and we're going, Holy hell. I didn't even think of that myself. Now I'm going to go look at my own organization for that. Right. We're, yes. we're all going to learn something here from one another. Yes. Most definitely. Please let, let us know. Either hit us up on the social medias, uh, in, in our emails, our website, or the best yet is go on Patreon and join our Discord. We have all kinds of conversations like this where we kind of hash out these kind of problems and and figure out some kind of solution. Example is one of our patrons who's starting his own business. Like, I never knew that was a thing of how he's going about it. But now we're learning all together and it's kind of like we're giving our inputs and our feedback and we're kind of batting this back and forth of our thoughts and opinions or our professional thoughts and opinions about it. So we were hoping that all this helps you and then just give us that feedback as well, whichever is the easiest way for you to reach us and let, let us know, like, uh, did we miss something? Is there something we need to add? Uh, yeah, was there a tool or a method that you did that really helped things out? Share this out so we, so we can all like, learn. Yeah. If you'd like more explanation on anything we've talked about in this episode as well, you know, just, 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 uh, let us know. And, uh, We'll do our best to kind of deep dive it a little bit more and, and try to provide a little bit more uh, explanation that might be, you know, easier to understand or, or, or whatever, you know? Yes, most definitely. Please, by all means, we're all very open for all that kind of feedback and, and questions and answers. Open all the time for that. Well, we, we hope that we've uh, given enough about that where it's not too oversimplified, but also not too in-depth because... Something like like value stream mapping and lean and uh, all the associated methods like Six Sigma and stuff like that, you can get lost in it very fast. It's kind of like you, you peel an onion and you realize how many layers upon layers upon layers it is. But ultimately, it's it's to um, it's it's to realize that you're working with an onion instead of trying to get to the core of it. <laughs> you know, what I mean? we'll leave that to you as far as like how deep you want to dive this, but. 
as long as you understand like the the principles of it and how to apply it that's the biggest one uh any further um comments on that mvp uh no you just might peel back the layers of the onion you know don't be surprised when you peel back the layers of the onion in your work center that you found a hand grenade instead of the center of the onion <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god. That was way worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right. Uh on that note, thanks everybody again for listening and we'll see you again on the next one. Bye everyone. Bye everybody. We would like to take this time to thank our patrons for supporting our show and allowing us to make episodes, maintain our gear, and create merch for all of our listeners. With special thanks to Erica Lamont, Chris Hawkins, Eric Shaw, Dan Schubert, Ryan Frushauer, Kyle Keir, Mike Sherwood, Caleb Stockhill, and Jennifer Brofer. Thank you all so much for your support and patronage. If you like our show, please support us on Patreon. You'll receive awesome perks like access to our private Discord, discounts and early access to our merch, first glimpse of our comics and other projects, and so much more. You can further support us and show off your prowess as an aircraft specialist by visiting our shop at cancelformaintenance.com. If you like classy or rugged watches, visit our affiliate Rockwell Time at rockwelltime.com. Use the code CX, the number 4MX, to save 10% off your total order. If you have suggestions for the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, send us a line on our contact us section at cancelformaintenance.com and we'll do what we can to get both your ideas and yourself on the show. Please support us on social media like Facebook at Cancel for Maintenance, Instagram at C-A-N-X for Maintenance Podcast, or Twitter at C-X-M-X Podcast. Please check out our new comic series on the Tapas app. Like, share, subscribe, and comment on our comics. Let us know what you think. Thank you all so much for your support and listenership, and we will catch you all next time.